Praise to you, Christ. You may be seated. Grace and peace to you from God, our Father in heaven, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. There's a prayer sometimes known as a Franciscan blessing or a non-traditional prayer. It was actually written by Sister Ruth Marlene Fox. It goes, May God bless you with discomfort at easy answers, half-truths, and superficial relationships, so that you may live deep within your heart. May God bless you with anger at injustice, oppression, and exploitation of people, so that you may work for justice, freedom, and peace. May God bless you with tears to shed for those who suffer pain, rejection, hunger, and war, so that you may reach out your hand to comfort them and turn their pain to joy. It's a beautiful prayer, and I think, to me, because it so accurately reflects the searching heart so often at the center of our faith. We are discomforted by the reality of the world, and we wander and wander far from where we ought to be. We get angry, we shed tears, we suffer the indignities and pain that come with life. A professor at seminary once said he had a lot of questions for God, and when he got to heaven, he would ask the first and most important one, what were you thinking? We want answers. We want them now. We want to figure it all out. And I was listening to a radio show yesterday, and they were talking about the way we understand time and the origins of the universe. It's one of the oldest mysteries humans have tried to conquer. And there are plenty of things that physicists can observe. For example, that the universe is expanding, even accelerating. And they were talking about how at, the or, at its origin, the universe was smooth, un, unneeding, unnecessarily perfect even. Interesting, right? Yet they admit that there's so much about the origin of the universe they cannot yet understand. There are, plenty, there are many things we have figured out over the years, cures for diseases, fuel-efficient engines, global positioning, satellite technology, powerful computers that fit in our hands. But I guess knowledge doesn't solve all the problems of the world. You could spit on a Q-tip, drop it in the mail, and someone will tell you the multitude of cultures and nationalities that make up your family of origin. Yet racism still exists. When it comes to farming, we can grow more food than ever before, but we still struggle with hunger in this country and across the world. We can call up someone across the world, see their face like we're in the same room with them, get to know them, call them our friends, and yet nations will continue to fight wars and terrorists will seek to hurt people they've never met, and violence abounds. Of course we want answers. When we hear the parables of Jesus, we might think we see a simple answer. We might think we've decoded the message. Ah, yes, now I understand. After all, he says that's why he teaches in parables, so that some may understand and be saved, but that some may not. Hmm. But who are we in the story? 
Are we the ones closest to him who understand? We've been given the secret. We can understand this now. We get it. Do we know it all? Well, the disciples struggle too, especially in Mark's gospel, to understand what it is that Jesus is doing. The Pharisees are the ones that seem to have all those easy answers. They've got answers for anyone who asks. The disciples have to be satisfied to watch and learn, to be alert, to keep awake, to keep their eyes on Jesus. In this story today, the crowds are getting so large, in fact, that Jesus has to get on a boat so that he can address them. And he tells this story about a sower doing what a sower does, tossing out seeds. Not carefully planting with intentionality and patience systematically. No, just flinging them all over the place. The seed goes everywhere on the paths and the rocks and the thorns. And some seem to find soil. Makes perfect sense, right? And now when they're back at the house, Jesus tells them what it all means. But he says that it's a secret for outsiders. We wouldn't want them to figure it out and repent and be saved, would we? If that's what's indeed happening here, and that's a big if, how does that strike you? Some get the good news, some get to understand, and some don't. If the seed is the word of God, do we try to keep it for ourselves, to to keep it secret from those who just wouldn't get it, wouldn't appreciate it? Do we bury it deep down in our memories, in our well-worn Bibles, tucked away in our dresser drawers like treasure too good to share? They won't accept it, so I'm not going to share it. can't just go around sharing the Word of God. Someone might think I'm weird, or worse yet, they might think I'm wrong. Some scholars have said this section where the parable is explained and is Mark's interpretation. It's not bad, but why would the sower put the seeds in a place where they couldn't take root? What kind of wasteful farmer is this? I learned this week that a good return on planted seed is tenfold growth. Ten times the seed planted would have been a wonderful return for someone working the land in Jesus' day. In Iowa, I got to ride with Ben Schmidt in the combine one morning as they were harvesting the seed corn likely to be shipped and sold to Brazil. And he showed me the GPS technology that makes this machine work. could practically run itself. Just set it and forget it. But he liked to ride up there, or maybe he was just worried I was going to punch the wrong button and screw the whole thing up. I didn't know how to work it. But I could see that corn growing perfectly in rows. Why? Well, it was planted precisely using the same GPS coordinates plotted for accuracy, equidistant and perfectly straight roads. They knew what they were doing. But how does it grow? Where does the seed come from? How does it know to respond to the nutrients in the soil, the moisture and the sunlight, to grow into food? Can the farmer really understand all that? Well, it's a seed. It does what it's supposed to do. And when it's the right time, the food is harvested. Jesus goes on to share about the lamp 
under a bushel basket. Don't try this at home. We don't want you to burn down the house. No one does that, right? Why would you? He's, it's hyperbole, right? A lamp is to give light. That's what it's for. And he says, there's nothing hidden except to be disclosed. Nor is anything secret except to come to light. Jesus knows what he's doing. Knows where he's going. And if this Bible is not entirely new to you, maybe you've figured out this much too. Jesus is going to the cross to die for the sake of the world, the whole world. But until that time, he asks that some things remain a mystery. He asks disciples to keep quiet. He reminds them not everyone is ready to accept what must happen. We know the story of the cross and the part that comes after, too. Jesus doesn't stay in the tomb. Spoiler alert! It's still the season of Epiphany, but we are Easter people, right? Jesus is alive. The Word is among us. And like seeds, we have been fed and watered and given the gift of growth through the Holy Spirit. Called and sent. Planted to grow and produce that good, juicy fruit that feeds the world. And we don't know it all. We don't have all the answers or know how it all happens. It's why we can hear these stories over and over again. And they have meaning for us. In that we wrestle with that word. And we gather together to to talk about it, to hear it, and to hear what it can say to us here and now. And we wonder about the future. About what God is doing in our world. And when all else fails, trust that God's grace is enough to hold on to faith and keep our eyes on Jesus. That's when things get uncomfortable. This week we remember the life and death of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., one who put his life on the line for others, who spoke out even when it made him unpopular, who gave everything he had that our country would be freed from division and hatred and violence. And that people of all races and ethnicities would be afforded equal rights. Those who marched with him and the generations that followed still wait for the fullness of the harvest of those days. And hear things like change doesn't happen overnight. It's out of our hands. There's nothing I could do. We hear the easy answers and are unsatisfied. When the word has been planted in our hearts and our eyes are on Jesus, we cannot be comfortable with injustice, oppression, and exploitation. We rise up with him. We are bold to confess God's love for all humanity, to shout down evil and powers and principalities that thrive in the dark. And we let the light shine. And followers of Jesus cry out for justice for freedom and equality, for liberty from the bondage of the past. We work together to seek a new future for our children and grandchildren, and anger becomes a motivator for change. Pain, rejection, hunger, and war are no longer acceptable as a status quo. We are hopeful, and we hope in faith, still trying to figure it out. So this section on parables ends with the story of the mustard seed. A 
small seed that grows up into a great shrub, the greatest of all the shrubs. But a little seed is all it takes. The kingdom of God is like that tiny seed. It starts small but grows up bigger than any other. And that seed that lands in the good soil grows fruit in abundance. 30, 60, 100 fold. Forget about 10. This is an unheard of number. More than we could even imagine. I have to believe that God has planted, has not planted that word within us that we would hide it away, but share it with others to boldly spread it around even in ways that makes the world wonder. Amen.